Okay, everyone turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one tonight because we're not putting it on the screen. And the reason we don't put it on the screen is so you bring your Bibles. So Genesis chapter 4, we're actually going to be covering two chapters tonight. So there are going to be moments tonight where we're going through this and you might think there's no way we're making it through two chapters, but we're going to make it. So Genesis chapter 4, so far we've looked at three chapters of Genesis. And just to give you a little quick overview, chapter 1 we covered creation. Chapter 2 we got more of a you know, zoomed in view of the creation of man. We saw Adam and Eve and God's design for marriage. And then chapter 3 we looked at last week and we saw sin and the fall of man. And what happened through sin was the curse. So if you remember, Adam and Eve had eaten of the forbidden fruit that God told them not to eat. And because they sinned against Him, this act of sinning brought a curse. And within the curse, and within sin, something else was also introduced, and it's one of the things we're going to study tonight, and that thing is death. And Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world in death, through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Also, obviously, we all know Romans 6.23, the wages or the end result of sin is death, right? So just a few things to remember before we dig in to these chapters tonight. Whenever we go through the Old Testament, we want to first remember that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and all of it is so we can learn and grow from it. And I say that because we're going to get to some moments in this book and in this Old Testament where we're going to be shaking our heads a little bit, right? We're going to be like, is there really something here for us? Is there really something we can learn from this? And the answer is yes. This is all God's Word, right? And it's so arrogant for us to come before the Creator of the world and say, God, this Word that You wrote doesn't apply to me at all and there's nothing I can learn from it. It's a very arrogant attitude to have, isn't it? If God included it in His Word, we can learn something from it. It is His infallible Word. So remember that as we read through this. And Genesis is easy, but we'll get to Leviticus and Numbers eventually, right? Next thing we want to remember is the focus is on Jesus Christ. Even in the Old Testament, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the Word of God is about Jesus, right? And and we can learn so much about our Lord even through the Old Testament. Which brings us to the next thing. Whenever we study the Old Testament, we want to read the Old Testament through New Testament eyes, right? And so, so far in Genesis 1, we saw creation. We know Christ was present for creation. John chapter 1 tells us without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. Colossians chapter 1 also tells us through Christ, all things were created. Chapter 2, we saw Adam and Eve in God's design for marriage. Well, marriage is a picture God's given us as a way to show us the relationship that Christ has with His church. Chapter 3, we saw sin in the fall of man, but we also saw a prophecy that the seed of the woman would crush the devil's head, and we know, of course, that seed of the woman is Jesus Christ. So let's remember these things as we study through this book and the rest of the Old Testament. So let's go ahead and dive in and see what happens next in Genesis chapter 4. And remember, last we saw, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden because they sinned. Okay, so verses 1 through 5, Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. 
Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry in his countenance, fell. Okay, so first things first, we see in verse 1, Adam knew Eve his wife. Now, you all know what this means, right? My translation says he knew Eve, but this simply means he had sexual relations with his wife, Eve. And they had their first child. Now, something I want to note here, and we're not going to spend too much time on this, but it's important to note because God wastes no details in his word. Every word that he puts in this word is there for a reason. It's not there by accident. And so look carefully at the wording in verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife. Because this design of sexual relationship between a man and a woman is designed by God to be within the confines of marriage. And outside of the confines of marriage, it is sin. And you might be asking, well, why is it sin? We'll get there eventually. God's Word will draw that out, right? And we'll talk more on that as we get to it. But just a quick note. Another thing that I think is pretty interesting is Adam and Eve have their first child after the fall. And I think that's significant because part of the curse, if you remember, was pain and childbearing. And it just goes to show us, right? Sin brings forth pain. If Adam and Eve would have just obeyed God and listened to Him, that pain would have been avoided, but because they disobeyed, now there's that result. There's that pain. So they have a son and they name him Cain. Now as you read through the Old Testament and even through the New Testament, you might read some of these names and you might think, man, some of these are really cool. right? A lot of people name their kids after some names in the, in the Bible. Then there's other names that are just really strange. right? But just note, they named their children these things because they had a purpose and a meaning. And so the, the name Cain, it actually means acquired. And they named Cain this because this son was acquired or given to them by God. And they also had another son named Abel. And the name Abel means breath. Now, why they named their son breath, I, I don't know. So if you came here wondering why he's named breath, I don't have an answer. But we get more details regarding these two men, Cain and Abel. Right? So just looking at verses 1 through 5, we get some information regarding Cain. Right? Look, look at that text. What do we see? He was a tiller of the ground. Right? He was like a farmer. He was into agriculture. He worked in agriculture. Cain brought an offering of crops to the Lord. We saw that Cain's offering was not respected by the Lord. And as a result, we kind of get a little glimpse of Cain's personality. He was very angry and dejected. Or in other words, he was depressed. Okay, now let's talk about Abel. Abel was not into agriculture. He was a keeper of the sheep, right? He wasn't planting crops. He had sheep. And he also brought an offering of sheep to the Lord, and his offering pleased the Lord. So we have to ask the question, well, why did Cain's offering displease God, but Abel's offering did? Was it because Abel offered sheep and Cain brought crops? And the answer is no, that's not why. If you actually look, bringing right of the first fruits and bringing sheep are both acceptable offerings in the Levitical law that God gives. So it wasn't an issue of what Cain was offering. It had to do with what was within Cain, within his heart. Now, we actually hear more about Cain in the Bible. This is not the only place we hear about him. 
we get a little more information about him in 1 John chapter 3. So if you want to turn over there real quick, 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, gives us a little more information about Cain. It says this, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Sorry, spoiler alert. Right? And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. We're also told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, that Abel's offering was better and more excellent than that of Cain's. So we see that it wasn't a matter of what Cain was offering. It was a matter of the heart that Cain had in coming before the Lord. And if you look at the text, look at the offering that Cain brought. He just brought of his crops. Some translations say he brought just some of his crops, right? Whatever he felt was good, whatever he felt was convenient. He, he came to God because he felt he grudgingly had to, not because he willingly wanted to. If we look at Abel's offering, Abel brought the what? The firstborn of the flock. He brought the fat. He brought the very thing that you wouldn't want to give up because this is precious, right? This is the first reproduction of his sheep. He wants to keep that. But he takes that great offering and he brings it before the Lord as a gift because Abel's heart was to please God and to draw closer to him. While Cain's, he just did this grudgingly. The Bible says his deeds were evil. And so this is why God was not pleased with Cain and his sacrifice. Now, there's a great application for us here. What are we bringing before God? Are we bringing parts of our lives before him? Are we bringing what's convenient to give him? Are we surrendering what we want to surrender, but not everything Christ requires of us? Or are we offering our lives completely, fully surrendered to him? Right? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What about as we come before God each day? Are we grudgingly coming before Him or are we willingly coming before Him? Are we grudgingly trying to serve Him or are we willingly serving Him? Because look, God doesn't need any of us, does He? He wants us, but He doesn't need us. And in no way, shape, or form did God need Cain's offering. He wasn't after the offering itself. He was after the hearts of the people who were offering. Well, let's look at verse uh, 5 real quick, and then we'll move on. Verse 5 tells us that Cain was very angry. This is the first time that we really see the sin of anger in the Bible. This anger was not a righteous anger. No, he was just very angry. Right? He was depressed. So let's go ahead and look at verses 6 through 9. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Okay, wow, there's a lot to unpack here. Right? There's a lot of sin introduced here in these verses. And we obviously know the elephant in the room is death. Right? Cain murdered his brother Abel, but there's other sins that we see introduced here. Right? First thing we see again in verse 5 was this anger. Anger is very much a sin. Anger, having anger towards someone without a cause is very much a sin, right? 
And I don't even know, I don't even think we're capable of having righteous anger because that anger can be carried out with something that's very unrighteous, right? The Bible says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So anger is a big deal, right? It's a sin. And we see this sin here. Now we also see within Cain that he was jealous. He didn't just kill Abel for no reason. He was jealous by the fact that his offering was not accepted and Abel's was. We also see the sin of malice introduced here. Malice is having the intent of doing someone harm before you do it. And Cain certainly had that. Look what he did. He was like, hey, let's go in the field. Let's, he talked to them, right? He's like, come on, Abel, man. And then he killed them, right? He had malice. He had the intent of doing harm. And then look at verse nine. The Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? What does he say? I don't know. Cain knew. He just killed him. He knows, he knows exactly where Abel's at, but he lies. So you see this, this sin of lying. And he was lying to God. So pretty fascinating. We see all these sins introduced within these verses. And I know we're trying to cover ground quickly, but I gotta park on these verses just for a few minutes because there's so much to unpack here. And there's a few points I wanna make. Number one, if you look in verse six, God asks Cain why he's angry. Now I want you to notice the heart of God here. Though God was not pleased with Cain's offering, he was still very much interested in Cain, and he loved Cain, and watch this, he was seeking to restore him. Because the God that we serve is a God of restoration. He's a God of second chances. And for many of us, he's not just a God of second chances, but the tenth chances and the billionth chances, right? God just continues to pour his grace out over us. And it's a beautiful picture of the heart of God here, but it really dispels a common misconception that people have. Right? Where people say that God is a God of love in the New Testament and a God of wrath in the Old Testament. That's just simply not true. Right? God remains the same. His character remains the same. God is holy. God's also love. And He displays and exhibits these attributes throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's after Cain's heart. And in the same sense, God is after each one of our hearts here tonight. And maybe this week you've just screwed up. You've just fell flat on your face and you've stumbled. The great news is God is seeking your heart, but you need to come back to him, right? This was the opportunity that God was giving to Cain. Notice in verse 7, God says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, God is giving Cain this opportunity. Repent. Turn back. Turn your heart towards me. And if you turn your heart back towards me, then yeah, your offering's going to be accepted. But if repentance is not had, what happens? God said, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. And he tells Cain that you should rule over this. You shouldn't let sin rule over you. Other versions say that sin is crouching at the door. And I like that, right? Because it kind of gives you an illustration that sin is just waiting there, ready to pounce. And when you open that door up, it's ready to spring up and attack you. And that's the image that we get here regarding sin. And if Cain opens that door up for sin, if if Cain does not deal with that anger in his heart, if he doesn't repent and turn to God, then that sin is going to take more shapes in his life. It's going to evolve. It's going to turn a lot uglier. right? And the same is true for us today, that sin desires each one of us in here, doesn't it? As we serve God each day, sin desires us. Sin wants us. Sin wants to control us, doesn't it? Sin wants to keep us from a right relationship with God. And so we would do well not to underestimate the destructive power of sin. Which leads us to the next point. Cain wasn't eating lollipops with Abel 
and then all of a sudden rise up and kill him. That's not how it happened. right? He didn't just wake up one day and say, I love my brother Abel, but I'm going to kill him. That's not how it worked. This was simmering. right? This was building up in Cain because he had anger that he didn't deal with. He had jealousy that he didn't deal with. And because he didn't deal with this, it kept growing and simmering in his heart to the point where he actually murdered his own brother. Right? And if, again, if sin is not dealt with, it will continue to spread and evolve. And anger is a very deadly sin. It's kind of underestimated. Anger is a very deadly sin. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, He said, if you have anger in your heart towards someone without a cause, you've already murdered them in your heart. Right? And so we saw this very much take place in Cain's life. He didn't deal with anger, and it turned into death. And so here we see the introduction of death and the murder of human beings for the first time in the Bible. But this really goes to show us that death is not the result of neglect from an unloving God. Death is the result of sin. And you're going to hear that a lot from non-believers, right? If God is a God of love, then why, does, why is there so much death? Well, there's death. Not because God is unloving. There's death because sin. That's why death is here in the world. One more point, and then we got application, and then we'll move on. And the last point is in verse 9. Notice that Cain lies to God, right? God asks him, where's Abel, your brother? Cain's like, I don't know. Of course he knew. He, he just murdered him. But Cain not only lies to God, but he gets a little snippy with him, doesn't he? he? He gets a little rude towards God. He said, what am I, my brother's keeper? I can just hear him saying this in my mind, right? I'm sure he wasn't playing dumb with God. I'm sure he was still angry. What, am I responsible for my brother now? And so we see that Cain lied to God, but we also see that Cain was angry towards God. We see a picture that there was enmity between man and God. And the same is true today, isn't it? Men have a lot of enmity towards God. And it's why? Because sin in their heart. That's why there's enmity with God. It's not that God pushes these people away. He welcomes them, but sin hardens the heart. And so an application point for us before we move on, we see in these verses the destructive power of sin and what it's capable of. However, let us not forget the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's not forget that sin is a defeated foe. And though sin desires us and seeks to control us, we've been set free from sin. And sin has no power over the Christian because John 8.38 says, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So praise God that sin doesn't have power over us. But with that said, let's also guard our own hearts and not underestimate sin. The Bible says, If anyone thinks that he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. Verses 10-15. through 15. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So we're just going to kind of go a little quicker for the sake of covering ground. But we see a couple things in these verses. Sin has consequences, doesn't it? Sin has punishment. Sin has repercussions. Sin is never one-sided. 
Right? And again, if that sin is not dealt with, it's going to evolve and it's going to take uglier forms. And Cain's an example, and we see another example in the Scriptures in David, don't we? If you remember David, David was just on the roof, minding his own business, and then he sees Bathsheba bathing from the roof, and he thinks, wow, she's something. Right? He starts to lust for her in his heart a little bit. And that lust, that little thought, that little hidden sin that no one knows about, he didn't deal with it. And what happened? He said, bring her up here. Commits adultery with her, gets her pregnant. Another man's wife. According to the law, both of them should have been stoned. But what does David say? Call Uriah home, her husband. Let me try to play this off. So he didn't deal with lust, so it turned into adultery. Then he lies. Uriah is a man of integrity. He won't leave his men who are fighting in war to go home with his wife. And David says, you know what? Kill him. And so you see how a thought of lust that wasn't dealt with turned into adultery. Adultery turned into lying, and the lying turned into murder. If sin is not dealt with, it will continue to grow. And there's consequences for it. And David had to pay a price for that sin. Cain was punished for his sin. Now, for us today, if we repented of our sin, our punishment's been taken. And I think that's important for Christians to remember, right? If you sin against God, you're not going to be punished for it. Because Christ bore the punishment on the cross. And this is amazing because if you look through the Old Testament, even if people repented, their sins still had to be punished because there wasn't that perfect sacrifice yet. But for us today, Christ is our substitute, so our sins are forgiven. But even if we repent and are forgiven of our sins, sometimes our actions still have repercussions and consequences, right? And now Cain was going to have to live with the consequences of his actions. But I want you to notice that despite this punishment that God inflicts on Cain, he still shows his grace towards Cain, doesn't he? You know, Cain is like, Lord, I'm going to be, I'm going to be killed. And God says, no one's going to kill you. He sets a seal on Cain. And it's really amazing that, again, we get a picture of God's heart. He's merciful even to our unrighteousness. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, why didn't God just strike Cain down for what he did? Well, before you're quick to judge, Let's remember Romans 5.8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? It's a good picture. Let's look at the rest of the chapter here, 16-26. through 26. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad. And Erab begot Mahushael, Mahushael begot Methushael, Methushael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives, and the name of the one was Adah, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Adah bore Jabal, he was the father of those who dwelt in tents and had livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who played the harp and the flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubalcane, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubalcane was Naamah. Then Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. There's some fun stuff in here, right? And again, sometimes we'll read this and you're thinking, what is going on? God has something for us, right? So first thing we see is Cain, he's exiled from where he was at. Now, this is important to note. 
Cain says, I shall be hidden from your face. So God was very much physically there. Similar to how he was in the garden, he was still physically in fellowship with these people. And how that looked, I don't know. But remember, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Even before he was born in Bethlehem, he's existed. And we even see him take these forms. They're called Christophanies all throughout the Old Testament. But Cain is exiled from where he was at. So he goes out and look what it says. He knew his wife. Wait a minute. We knew that Adam and Eve had a son, Cain. They had another son, Abel. So who on earth did Cain marry? Well, we can imagine that Adam and Eve had other kids that aren't recorded in the canon of Scripture. (laughs) Right? They had other kids. God said, be fruitful and multiply. God's intent was for them to fill the earth. And so it would be kind of unwise to say that they just merely had three sons. Right? They had other kids. And you might be thinking, okay, fine, they had other kids, but a brother marrying his sister? What is going on here? Isn't this against God's law? Intermarrying within families? And we know this, the gene pool at this time was not yet corrupted. And I'm not going to spend too much, I didn't, I didn't study this, just so you know, I'm not going to look too deep into this, but the gene pool was not corrupted yet. Right? God's intent was for them to fill the earth, and God was blessing that. He was honoring that. But later in the Mosaic Law, He did make it a command that you should not marry within your family. But at this time, God was blessing this as He was populating the earth. Now, if you want to notice as well, there's a name uh, Enoch in this little genealogy here. This is not the Enoch who was taken up to heaven. This Enoch is an offspring of Cain that we read about. We also see another notable name here named Lamech. And we're not told too much about this guy, but we can deduce that he was quite arrogant and boastful, wasn't he? And verses 19 through 23 also introduces something pretty interesting. What does it say? Then Lamech said to his wives. So we see polygamy introduced for the first time, and that's the practice of having more than one wife. And I should make this very clear. God never once in His Word justifies the act of having more than one wife. Right? But we're seeing in this chapter a rapid spiritual decline. Right? We saw it in the start of the chapter, all these sins introduced and everything that man is starting to do against God now. And Lamech not only had multiple wives, but he also killed a person. He killed a person and then he took what God said about Cain and he twisted it for his convenience. He justified his sin by twisting the words of God and nothing has changed today because people are still doing it, right? Satan did this with Jesus, twisted the word of God to get Jesus to sin. And people, many people today are twisting the word of God for their convenience, seeking to justify their sin. Not much has changed since the start of time, has it? Because Satan still has the same objective that he had. Now, I want you to notice something else as we read this. You might be reading some of these names and you're like, okay, look at this. We got Jubal. He was the father of all those who played the harp and flute. Why is that in here? Right? You're like, okay, great. Jubal played the flute. Like, why did God include that in his word? Why? I think it's really cool how God includes that. Here's why. Because we are told here that man at this point dwelt in tents. They had livestock. They were creating instruments and mastering them. Right? They were craftsmen. They knew how to work with bronze and iron. And it shows us that early humanity was quite skilled. Right? God gave them knowledge. They were using a lot of their brain, if not all of their brain power. Scientifically, we lose brain power each generation, right? 
But it goes against this world standard of early humanity where they had a single-digit IQ and were cavemen who couldn't articulate a sentence. No, early humanity was very much skilled because man was made separate from animals. They're made in the image of God and God gave them wisdom. Right? And so it's pretty cool that we see this. Early humanity was very much able to accomplish these things. And it shows us as well that we're young as a race, right? We're young as an earth. We're not billions of years old. Look what they were able to accomplish within a couple generations. Look at what we were able to accomplish in the year 1900 to 2000. We had the phone, the car, the airplane, the nuclear bomb, the computer, all within a hundred year period. We're a young race, right? We're a young earth. The Bible doesn't teach that we're billions of years old. And so it's amazing how we see this. But again, within every generation, our brain power decreases, which makes sense because we have people saying today that we came from monkeys, right? Well, a couple more things to note, and then we'll move on to chapter 5. And you're like, chapter 5? How are we going to get through that? We're going to get through it. Don't worry. So Adam and Eve, they have another son to replace Abel named Seth. The name Seth means appointed. And he's appointed because through his lineage, Jesus Christ would be born according to the genealogy found in Luke chapter 3. And I think that's pretty amazing. If you look at Eve, she said God has appointed another seed instead of Abel. Because perhaps she thought that that seed that was going to crush the devil's head was going to come through Abel's line. And Cain killed Abel. And you can imagine, Satan probably thought the same thing. Well, if this seed, if this redeemer is going to come and crush my head, I'm going to stop this. He influences Cain to kill Abel, right? Satan doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. We see this all throughout the Bible. When Jesus was born, Satan influenced Herod to kill all the children so Jesus would be murdered. Satan tempted Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. He influenced the crowds to try to push Jesus off a hill when he was teaching, to try to stone him because Satan wanted to kill Jesus. He didn't want this prophecy to come true, but God had another plan. It's not through Abel that the Redeemer is going to come. It's through Seth. And Satan cannot defeat Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. He did crush the devil's head. He is victorious. And we're victorious in Him. And it just goes to show how amazing Christ is. And this chapter ends on a high note. Okay, so we, we start Genesis 1. Ah, so nice. Genesis 2. Ah, Genesis 3. Ooh. Genesis 4. Oh. But it ends on a high note. Because the last thing we're told is, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And so we saw a rapid spiritual decline in this chapter, but we're seeing a resurgence of the worship of God. And why is that amazing? Because today, despite how spiritually dark and evil this world is, a resurgence of revival can still happen, and that's why we pray. Amen? All right, chapter 5. And you're like, are we really going to go through this? Yes. Here's the thing. This is a genealogy. I'm going to read through the whole chapter. It's not the shortest chapter in the world, but it's also not the longest. And so I just need you to listen. Don't fall asleep. And there's a few things that we're going to point out in this chapter. So Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. 
After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Cainan. After he begot Cainan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Cainan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. After he begot Mahalalel, Cainan lived 840 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Cainan were 910 years and he died. Everyone still awake? Still following along? Still good? Alright. After he begot, Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son and he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Whew! We made it. So a few things to note. Number one, genealogies. Why are they here? Do we pay attention to them? Is there really something we can draw from them? Yes. Because again, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And genealogies are really cool because they give us historical and spiritual context. I think that's important. If you take this genealogy in Genesis chapter 5, you can date how many years it was from Adam to Noah. That's significant because then you can use Noah's genealogy and date Noah to Abraham. And so you can date Adam to Abraham, and it's around 2,008 years. I did that for you, so you don't have to. You're welcome, right? It's about 2,008 years, but you can find the date of, of, of when these guys came. And this is a way that we can date the earth. And if you do this all the way up to Christ and all the way up to where we're at today, the earth's around 6,000 or so years, give or take, right? And so if you're ever wondering how do creationists get the idea that we're 6,000 or so years old, well, this is a way that they do it. So we shouldn't despise these, Right? Now, something else to notice here, which is an elephant in the room, man's lifespan is long, really long. These guys are living 900 years. That's crazy. How? Well, I don't have the answer for you, but I can tell you this. Living conditions were a lot different than they are today, weren't they? These guys are using full brain capacity. There's not pollution in the air. They're not eating Oreos and Kit Kats, right? They're healthy, there's not as many sicknesses as there are today, not as many germs, and that might not be the case. I don't know, but they live long. Can we assume that these were years like we consider years? Uh, yeah, we can. Did God really create the earth in six days and rest on the seventh? Like 20, yeah, these are literal. We take God's word literally, right? So I believe these guys, they lived a long life. If you're expecting to live to 900, it's not going to happen probably. Right? Does it still happen today? No, we are not seeing this today. But we believe that these guys, they did live this long. Now, a notable name in here is Enoch. 
Now, we heard Enoch named twice tonight. One was from Cain's line, and this one is from Seth's line. This Enoch is the one who was taken up by God. In other words, it's implied that he never died. Right? Now, Enoch is mentioned two other places in Scripture. Anyone know where else in Scripture Enoch's mentioned? It's two places. The winner gets strawberry shortcake that you already had. He's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith, and it says, by faith, Enoch was taken up by God, and he's mentioned. Come on. Are you looking it up on your phone, John? Are you cheating? Yeah, he's mentioned in the book of Jude, which Jude's a very small book before Revelation. And in Jude, it's mentioned that Enoch made a prophecy regarding Christ's return. And so, why did God take Enoch up? Why didn't Enoch die? Well, we don't really have the answer. Now, is it possible that he'll be one of the two witnesses of Revelation in the Great Tribulation? Maybe. Scripture doesn't tell us that. I think he will be. But that's just my assumption. So don't take it at face value. And I think that because the Bible says it's appointed for man to die once and then judgment. And there's two guys in the Bible who didn't die. So I think their time's still a-coming. And I think they'll be the witnesses. But that's just my assumption. But we know this. Enoch pleased God and walked with him. And if you study it in the Hebrew language, this idea that he pleased God and walked with him, it showed that there was a very special, intimate, personal relationship that Enoch had with God. And this is the relationship that we're called to have with Jesus Christ. Special, intimate, and personal each and every day. So what keeps us from this relationship? Sin. And isn't it amazing? In chapter 4, we have this, this picture of sin and the destructive power that it has. And in chapter 5, we see a man who has a special, intimate, personal relationship with God. And that's the relationship we're called to have with God. But sin will always keep us from that relationship. So how do we guard our hearts against sin? Being in the Word. Being in prayer. Being in fellowship. Staying away from triggers, things that will cause us to stumble or sin. Being accountable with other Christians. Fleeing from sin, sometimes literally. right, And taking every thought captive. And lastly, we see the birth of Noah. And this Noah built the ark. We're going to get more into that next week. But I'll wrap up with this. We saw that sin's a very powerful foe, right? It has destructive power, but we should rejoice in the redemption that we have in Christ, but also guard our hearts against sin, right? Guard our hearts against the desires of the flesh because our walk with Christ should look like the walk that Enoch had with God, a walk that's personal, intimate, and relational with Him each and every day.